In this week's episode of Non-Native Creative, I had a great time speaking with James Catchpole, aka Mr. OK Jazz. Originally from Brooklyn, he moved to Seoul with his family for about three years when he was a kid. Eventually, his interest in film and in music brought him to Japan, where he's lived now for more than 20 years. During his time in Japan, he's established a long-running project that documents jazz bars or listening bars in the Tokyo area. He's created an English-language online resource that gives details about tons and tons of tiny venues all around Tokyo, with the aim of sharing information with music enthusiasts about where to go and what to do and what you can expect in these different places. He's also hosted a long-running radio show and has now shifted to doing his own podcast where he shares music and music history. This talk covers a lot about music appreciation and the culture of music appreciation in Japan. You can find a link to his website and to his jazz photography project as well as links to his social media portals from the links in the description. Enjoy! On this week's episode of Non-Native Creative, I am very excited to welcome James Catchpole, a.k.a. Mr. OK Jazz, to the show. Thank you very much for coming to speak with Thanks me. Thanks for inviting me in. I'm very happy to have the chance to talk to you. I've followed you on Twitter for a while, I think, and I see your tweets here and there about music and places to go in Tokyo uh, to listen to music. So I'm excited to speak with you today in depth about what you're up to. Oh, so. great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want to begin uh, today's discussion with the same question that I ask everybody, uh, which is to please think of yourself as an X-Men. Uh, I, well, I borrowed the question from the X-Men or rather just like superhero stories in general. Uh, I would like to ask you, if possible, to share about your origin story. If you had one thing that kind of kicked off uh, the road that kind of got you to where you are today, what was that thing or that experience? I would say it's uh, it's not really just one thing. It's a combination of a couple of things. Mm -hmm. But um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Um, my parents were not from the city, though. They came from different places. Um, and, uh, you know, I grew up just a regular kid in New York City. Um, but I was surrounded by a lot of different people. Uh, my best friends were, families were from Guyana, Hong Kong, Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And so there was always a kind of a international feeling there, you okay. know, um, especially with music, you know. Um, but I would say that the really defining thing for me was uh, when I was 10, I remember my parents, they sat me and my sisters down. And this was in 1984, so it was a long time ago. Okay. And, uh, and they said, listen, uh, we're going to be moving. And we were like, what? You know, and we're moving to South Korea. Mm. And I didn't even know where that was. <laughs> and we didn't understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, my dad had got a promotion. And uh, they wanted to send him over to, to work in South Korea, okay. which was a very different country than it is today oh, back then. You know, I can only imagine. It was still a military dictatorship. It wow, was yeah. Okay. Before the economy boomed. And so I went from being just um, a kid in Brooklyn uh, to living in South Korea as an expat, mm -hmm. which was very, <laughs> very different yeah. than an expat's kid. Wow. So this, you said you were 10 years old I was this 10, time. yeah. How did you adjust to that as a 10-year-old kid? Like, I assume not speaking any of the language. I mean, it immediately did, you know. I mean, we went to international school, okay. right? But but still, I was speaking Korean within six months. Mm -hmm. And kids are quick that way, sure. you know? And I was running around with my friends. By the time I was 11, we were taking the buses all around Seoul. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any subway back then, really. Wow. And, um, yeah, and, and so I, I kind of, I think, like, if I look back on my life, that was really probably the, the, the most f important um, development. It, it just, it took me out of my, this is the first time I left the country. Mm -hmm. I barely even left the East Coast of the States, mm -hmm. you know? Wow. And so, um, yeah, so we, we went over there and um, for three years. And then I came back and, and, and we moved back to Brooklyn mm -hmm. and just things got normal again. And that was really strange, you know? I see. So did, but like, did you have kind of that feeling in you even after you came back to Brooklyn, that like, oh, now I know that there's this other world out there. Completely, completely. I used to go to Chinatown just to just to get like an Asia fix, you okay. know. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, because like you know, we traveled a little bit too. We'd go on Hong Kong, mm -hmm. and, you know, Singapore, wherever. And right. I think when you take somebody that young age, um, and also you know, because my family's mixed. My mother was not American. Mm -hmm. um, she had emigrated to the U.S. from from the Caribbean. She's from Trinidad and Tobago. Okay. So I had a mixed family already, a uh, bit of an international family. Mm -hmm. So I, I think at that age, it just that was what spurred it. And then the second thing was when I was in college in upstate New York, mm -hmm. uh, I took a class on Japanese cinema mm -hmm. and uh, not really knowing much about it beyond, you know, Akira Kurosawa. Mm -hmm. And I discovered they had a great cinema tradition here. And um, I just became obsessed with, cool. ja with Japan. Cool. <laughs> and um, 
I was like graduating. I was like, I, 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 that's where I got to go. I see. Wow. So, so you had kind of first Korea experience and that kind of ignited in you this interest in Asia, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then through, you know, just exploring things that were available in your community, like Chinatown was the example mm-hmm. and like these courses and stuff that just kind of led naturally then to kind of to Japan as like the next kind of adventure you saw yourself doing then? Pretty much. I mean, you know, once I started getting into the movies, mm-hmm. Japanese movies, of which there's different eras and different styles and all of that. And then, you know, you start getting interested in the, in the culture and the history. So I was reading, you know, whatever books I could find in English uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I picked up a history book. And pretty much was just like, uh, okay, I, I've, I've seen so much of this country on screen mm-hmm. and in my imagination. Um, I, need to, I need to actually just get there. Right. You know, so right. so all of those things combined together. So, I mean, I knew pretty much even after, even before that, I was like, I wanted to leave the States. I just mm-hmm. wanted to travel, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. as, as much as I could. So when was your first experience coming to Japan? Um, I was uh, 23 years old. So okay. it was 1997. Okay. And um, I've been here pretty much ever since. Wow. Yeah. So just, just out of curiosity, I mm. suppose. What do you think, why was it like uh, that Japan kind of drew you in more than just thinking, oh, I'd like to go back to like Korea and explore Korea more in depth. Like, was there something about like Japanese cinema that really struck you? Yeah, I think I think that, you know, I was a big fan uh, and still am of a director, um, Ozu Yasujiro, who is now world famous director years after his death. But um, there was something about in his movies that I found to be more just deeper and more touching than mm-hmm. almost any cinema I'd ever seen. Okay. And I thought, and, and, and the more I learned about it, I thought, well, you know, this is a culture that I think is really fascinating. Okay. And, I, you know, I think Korea was more just like that was my childhood. I know it already, okay. you know. So, but I think like a lot of foreigners who become Japanophiles, mm-hmm. right, you know, you have this image of what you want Japan to be. Mm. And then you get here and you're like, okay, this is <laughs> not. Yeah. This is in a some dream. ways it is, and yet in some ways it is yeah. mostly not. Yeah. 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 And you know, you go through, you also go through like a boom. You know, the first yeah. year it's like, oh, everything's perfect. This is the greatest place in the world. Yeah. And then uh, I was here after about the fourth or fifth year. I was like, yeah, you know, I think I need to leave. You know, there was another another person who is on this uh, series, uh, Hiko Saiman, hey Hiko, uh, who I uh, talked to about the same right. thing, uh, this kind of cycle, like the expat cycle. And I'm so curious to learn if that's if that's similar in expats who move to other countries. Like, because uh, yes, like lots of people have kind of talked about this sort of weird thing that happens mm. among the expats, uh, the expat community in Japan, which mm. is like that first year to maybe year three, you're just on this high of that's everything a, is new and exciting and cool. I think it's 100% true in other countries from people I've talked to. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because you have this, you have this idealized image of the country, but you also have this idealized image of yourself, of mm. what you will be in mm. this new land, mm. and everything is going to be perfect. And then you realize that that's you know that's very immature. You're still yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you gotta you gotta create it. It's a really hard work to do this. Yeah. And um and then you know sometimes and Japan has its own particular mm. you know challenges. The language is tough. You gotta learn language. Mm. It's a very different culture to where we come from mm-hmm. in the states. Um and you know that doesn't uh, work for everybody. You right. know I mean I'm sure you. You know, a lot of people have come for two, three years, and then they've gone back. Tons, they yeah. They had enough. Yeah, know? yeah, tons of people. So that's kind of, it's sort of interesting, like, then to get to talk to people about, like, what brought them and kept them here, too. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe yeah. maybe we'll get to that a little sure. bit later. Sure, But I want to, uh, like, in continuing the discussion about what brought you to Japan, um, talk a little bit about kind of where the creative part uh, intersects um, with, your, with your interest. Like, you've already talked about uh, film. Now, movies and theater, uh, or rather films, uh, kind of brought you to Japan specifically. Uh, but uh, when I introduced you, I introduced you as Mr. OK Jazz. So, like, music is a big part of uh, who you are now. Mm. Can you explain a little bit about how music became a big part of your life, especially here? Sure, sure. Uh, w- go back very briefly just mm-hmm. to being a kid in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, six years old, and uh, my parents gave me a little, you know, this like kid's record player. It looks like a big shoebox. Oh, yeah, the, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like some, of my, some of my like, adult friends have yeah, those. Yeah, yeah they're, they're <laughs> retro now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got one of those when I was six, and um, I, I stole my parents' record of um, Songs in the Key of Life by, by my man. Oh, yeah, Stevie. Stevie. That's why I'm oh. wearing Stevie today to, to represent. <laughs> got to represent Stevie. Wow, Wanda. for those who are just listening, he is wearing a Stevie. Wonder yeah. t-shirt. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he was my first hero. 
Okay. And he still is today. Yeah. Um, and so um, I was always into music, and I was always into radio. And New York was a great radio town. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had stations, uh, you, you know, really famous DJs like Frankie Crocker, uh, Howard Stern before he went national, came oh, out of New York. Right. Um, yeah. K Rock, Z100, uh, sports radio took off in New York. So radio was really important in those days to, they dictated the, the trends, mm-hmm. you know? And the DJs were celebrities. And I used to listen. I used to go to bed every night listening to the radio, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little transistor radio. So I, I always wanted to be on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always a big music fan from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, when I got into college, uh, I started getting into jazz. So, you know, I grew up in the 80s and I was listening to a lot of hip hop, a lot of classic rock okay. stuff. So I kind of went backwards, you know, hip hop to where these samples come from. Well, they came from funk and soul records mm-hmm. and sometimes even R&B, old R&B records. And that led me into jazz. I see. When I was about 17 or 18, I heard my first jazz record. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was like one of those moments that you just will always remember. Cool. And one of the key parts of your entire life. I heard this live album that a, 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 my roommate's girlfriend I think brought in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, I, I don't know what this is, but I want to know everything. <laughs> I have to have more. Yeah. And yeah. after that, I mean, I pretty much spent the next three years only buying jazz records. Oh, wow. And, uh, CDs back then. Okay. Um, so, you know, I by the time I came to Japan, when I was 23, you know, I came over and I brought, you know, three or 400 CDs with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got here, I knew that Japan was a jazz country. Yeah. From way back. Yeah. Um, what I didn't know was literally how often you would hear it outside of jazz shops or locations. Oh, right. That's true. So I noticed I was hearing real hardcore jazz records in supermarkets, in the doctor's office, mm-hmm. uh, hotel lobbies. And I mean real records, not smooth jazz, you know, mm-hmm. not Kenny G or something like yeah. that. You know? <laughs> oh, Kenny G for listening. Burn. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Kenny, but yeah. You know. uh, that's true though like really wherever you go like you'll notice I mean yes you will go to supermarkets sometimes and mm. they'll be like the Muzak version of like a Beatles song yeah, playing yeah right but like that is true like there's an emphasis I think in in some places especially in like kind of like these more what should I call them like curated spaces that are emerging more and more these mm-hmm. days it's like people are really uh, paying close attention to the music that's mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. I've seen like articles uh, um Oh, God. The guy's name is escaping me at the time. The Japanese uh, composer and I believe DJ as well. I think he's based in New York now. Guy with round glasses and like kind of white hair. Oh, Sakamoto Ryuchi? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> my gosh, the name was just not coming to me. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, there was an article that he did. He, he had just like, there was this big article about how he had just curated a playlist specifically for like this tea house that opened yes, in New York. Yes, I remember I reading that. Yes, I remember that. that. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, you must have noticed all around Japan, wherever you go, there are these what, what I call music bars, mm. which don't really exist in the rest of the world. They're starting to open now mm-hmm. in places like London and New York and L.A. And the music bar is a place where you go in and there's just a huge collection of vinyl records. That means thousands, mm-hmm. right? Um, so when I discovered that in, the, in the, what they call the jazz cafe version of that, and that jazz cafe tradition goes back to basically right after the war. Okay. And it really boomed in the 60s. Um, these were places where people would go just to listen to records. Mm-hmm. It was very hard to buy these records. They were expensive. I see. You know, imported jazz records. And you couldn't play them at home. You, you know, Japanese houses, you can't burst the music out loud. So mm-hmm. so these jazz cafes, these jazz kisaten, mm-hmm. uh, they were born all over the country. Cool. And, um, you know, now, and then you later on you had soul bars and rock bars and all of that too. Mm-hmm. So when I first went to one of these jazz kisaten, and I, so I'm still, what, in my mid to late 20s. And I walked in, and uh, it's a place that just recently closed, sadly, uh, mm. called Milestone in Takatana Baba. Oh, I don't know. And um, you, know, you walked in, and he's just got all these records. And you can have coffee, beer, whiskey. And mm. I, I was like, this is the greatest shop I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come here every day that I'm in Japan. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is going to be my home now. Okay. But what I didn't know at the time, this is pre-internet pretty much, you know. Um, there were these places all over Japan. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'd go to one, and then they would, oh, if you're in that neighborhood, go to this guy. I know the owner, say hello. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started I started going around, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and I, it, was, it just became my, my obsession. Mm-hmm. So, I was, you know, I brought a notebook. I was taking notes, you know. I was just, what's the owner? What kind of music do they play here? Mm-hmm. How many records do you have? Mm-hmm. What's the decor? And then uh, a friend of mine was just like, you got to make a blog. You yeah. Know? You got to make a blog. And I was like, well, I don't even know how to do that, you mm-hmm. know. So, mm-hmm. so I started the blog. Um and but actually that came a little bit later. I was already thirty three, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So I but I had years. I had about five or six years of notes. You know? Wow. 
notebooks. And on and just like to insert like mm. another little thing in here. Like mm. when I looked at your website, like <laughs> I, I I recognized a few places that you mm. had listed that it opened recently, but there's just a wealth of information on your website now about like different places that you can go to and like the kind of vibe and like exactly as you're describing but it's all now available in digital form yeah that yeah must have taken some time it, it did it took a lot of time yeah, yeah. i mean I've, I've got a hundred and i think 160 uh jazz spots profiled on Just my for website tokyo. it's mainly the, to- the tokyo metro area yeah, okay. Kanto, Kanto area but i mean around the country there's you know so many more. Sure. Um, so you know that that became like my thing, mm-hmm. and and I had the website going, and then um, that led to doing other stuff like writing articles uh, for some of the newspapers here. Um, uh, I was on the radio for a while, I had my own radio show at Inter mm-hmm. FM, and then f- from Inter FM, I you know when that ended, I moved it to a podcast, and now the podcast I just last week did um, episode number hundred and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't just play jazz on there. I play everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the origin of the name, uh, Mr. OK Jazz, mm-hmm. which is my DJ name and mm-hmm. my avatar you know, online, um, actually doesn't come from jazz as in the States. It mm-hmm. comes from the Congo. Oh. Uh, because um, their great, one of the greatest African bands ever was called OK Jazz, Orchestra Kinshasa. Okay. Yeah, I think in French, Orchestra Kinwa or something like that. Okay. And uh, they were very influenced by jazz coming in records, uh, Latin records as well, and back to Africa and bringing rhythms that had gone from Africa to the New World with slaves. Oh, I see. You know? So okay. so when you hear what the genre of musical Congolese rumba, mm-hmm. which I also became obsessed with, uh, my favorite band was called Franco. He was the leader. Franco and the Puissant OK Jazz. Okay. And I decided I'm going to be Mr. OK Jazz. And <laughs> that's so cool. That's, that's going to be my name. And uh, and nobody's going to know what it means because they're going to be like, oh, is it OK for Tokyo? Or jazz <laughs> is OK? Or, you know, so nobody gets the meaning. Yeah. Um, uh, except for about four or five people who are now very good friends who oh, you know, cool. immediately recognized, oh, you they like, knew it right away. Yeah, because they meant. collect African oh, that's music. that's so cool. Yeah. So it's like there's this little like hidden kind of like riddle in the name there. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I was thinking about it. I was like, what if you put like a comma in there? Like, Mr. OK. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> so many, so many variants you could do yeah, on that, you know? Yeah, nice, it's a nice name. Yeah, 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 for sure. So that's so cool. So um, you mentioned uh, in uh, in all of the things that you're doing now, you mentioned a podcast as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. What kind of stuff do you share on your podcast? I mean, I pretty much try to mix it up these days. I mix it up between, because um, I get a lot of new music now. I'm, I'm connected to a lot of labels and a lot of musicians just send you stuff mm-hmm. once you have a show. I've heard this, yes. Oh, that yeah. Once you are established as a thing, people will just send you like oh, yeah. demos yeah. and contact I mean, I, I get about mm-hmm. 15 new albums a week. Oh, that's so cool. Just sent to me. Not always stuff that I want to <laughs> necessarily keep but, but you appreciate yeah, yeah no i mean i really and i and i if i like at least one song you know i'm gonna get it on my show mm-hmm. so I, I try to mix it between new releases mainly jazz world music soul mm-hmm. uh, latin you know um no j-pop sorry <laughs> j-pop fans out there that's, that You're doesn't not mr okay J-pop. yeah that doesn't that didn't make the cut um but yeah i mean i listen to pretty much everything cool. and, and you, so you'll hear you know last week's episode i had uh nigerian pop mm-hmm. i had this great all-girl punk band from the uk that oh, i just whoa. discovered this is all new stuff you know okay um and then i had some you know some classic jazz one of the great great jazz man in the last 50 years recently passed away his name is McCoy Tyner yeah I saw that in the news so I had to put tribute to him because he's mm-hmm. a very important musician to me um, yeah so the podcast is basically that you mm-hmm. know it's as I say in the intro of the show it's basically everything that's been on my playlist mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks I so see. you're going to hear um, you're going to hear a mix of everything you're not going to like everything mm-hmm. you know because if you were you would be me <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's true yeah. that's true but I think one of the things at least as a, as a listener like I've never DJed nor do I plan to DJ nor do I want to DJ but like one of the things that's fun about just like uh, listening to like friends radio shows or whatever is identifying a person that has kind of some overlap with you in terms mm-hmm. of the kind of music that they like mm-hmm. and then when you listen to the, the the selections that they make they'll find something that they've enjoyed and then they share it with their audience and you can go oh i really like that too and that to me is like the fun part of of music it is it is amazing and it what's really great is that now listeners um have been contacting me really you know? yeah so i've been doing the podcast for like five plus years mm-hmm. so i'll get mails uh from listeners from a lot of different countries and often you know, was this, or can you tell me more about this? What do you recommend, you know? Um, And a lot of people are like, hey, I'm coming to Japan. Can I buy you a drink in a jazz bar? Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, don't have to ask me twice to buy me a drink in a jazz <laughs> yeah, bar. Anybody yeah. out there? Yeah, yeah that's so cool. We'll always accept that invitation. You so. hear that, Internet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> very happy to accept those. That's um, cool. And that's been great. I mean, I've been, I, through the show and the website, I've met people from uh, the Philippines, Turkey, um, Brazil, Colombia, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of people from the States. Yeah. And of course, tons of people in Japan as well. Right, right. So I'll go to a gig and somebody will just come up to me and, you know, be like, hey, you know, I listened to your show. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's really great. Because, you know, when, you, when you're doing something like this, which is pretty niche, you know, I play a lot of like, you know, music that's not very popular. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you just wonder, like, am I just speaking into the void the, the void yeah, is, yeah is there anyone out there who's digging it um but now you know it's easier to track your listenership i sure. mean i kind of plateaued out a bit but mm-hmm. there's enough people that listen i average you know, three or four thousand per episode Ooh. and that's not enough to get sponsorship unfortunately yeah. <laughs> um, well you gotta have to well, so, different conversations yeah yeah <laughs> you, you know you know that that's yeah, a, kinda, that's that's tough um, it's a it's a it's a challenge. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I want to I want to kind of um, in in talking a little bit mm. then about um, the different kinds of people who are tuning into your show. Mm. Uh, I want to kind of go then to maybe um, a little bit more of back to Japan specifically, I sure. suppose, because that's obviously where your creative mm-hmm. project here is based. Um, in going around and collecting all of this information and connecting with you know uh, jazz bar owners uh, and musicians and so on. What has been kind of their response to to your project? Have they been like really, really receptive to it, or have they kind of been like, "Oh, who's like this this guy that's kind of like going around and getting all of our information and putting it out there in English?" Like, what's kind of been the response? Both, to your both, work? absolutely both. both. Well, I mean, I, a lot of times, well, t- to start these, some of these old jazz joints, um, some of the really old ones, they're not even online. There's no website. Mm-hmm. There's barely even a phone. There's mm-hmm. like a payphone, mm-hmm. you know, in the shop. So when you go in, especially as a foreigner, you know, the first reaction of the regulars could sometimes just be, oh, no, here we go. Yeah. You know, and I'm, and I, but I'm used to that now. And, and I know exactly how to do it. You go in, you, you know, you speak a little Japanese, let them know that you know the system. Yeah. Table charge. You're not going to cause any trouble. You're not here to get drunk. Yeah. Um, and then you just mention the music. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, I'm a big fan. And then, oh, okay, because it's pretty much only fans that go to these places. Mm-hmm. So the owners have been very interested uh, when I explained what I was doing, saying that I want to I want to share your world to jazz fans outside Japan because they don't know about it mm-hmm. and they're going to fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. So once I explain it, they're, they're very receptive. I see. And um, after a couple years of doing this site, well, let's see, the site had been going up maybe six or seven years changed shape and eventually it became what it is now where it's kind of this database mm-hmm. so I, I actually will show them on my phone or if I've got a computer with me and I'll be like look this is this is what it is it's an English profile of your beautiful shop that um, I want to share with the fans who come to Japan because so many mu- you know musicians come mm. and, and people people up until recently <laughs> have been coming to Japan a lot yeah. and they don't know about this world and yeah. so I, I basically created the only English language source for it mm-hmm. and they've been very receptive that's good um, and then what took it to the next level was uh, five years ago um, who's now a very good friend of mine at the time he was an acquaintance a photographer uh, named Philip Arneal mm-hmm. and he was also a Japan resident uh, we ran in similar circles. We used to go to the same gigs. We knew some similar people, but we weren't really buddies or anything. Mm-hmm. And he had done various photo projects in the music world here. Uh, so he called me one day and he said, hey, let's have a drink. I want to talk to you about a project. Mm-hmm. And he proposed, let's take what you've been doing, but to the next level, let's get a visual uh, a visual project going because I was taking pictures on my phone, one of the old flip top phones. You yeah. know? So they were, <laughs> frankly, they were terrible. They were <laughs> like know? taking pictures with a potato. It was. Yeah. You could you could see nothing. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was just a blur of like yeah. records or something. So yeah. so he said, look, you know, what what do you think about going to all these places and um, you know capturing them properly before they close? Uh. And I said, man, I I've been waiting for somebody to, to offer that kind of project. That mm-hmm. sounds great. So he uh, he came up, you know, we made a list of places to go. We started going pretty regularly. Um, and then we did the whole Kanto region. Cool. And eventually we started going all around Japan. Yeah, Kanto is the uh, eastern part of Japan. Yeah, sorry, the, the, the Tokyo metro mm-hmm. area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there were these jazz spots everywhere. Mm-hmm. So Philip and I would go. Um, you know, he's the photographer. I would sometimes contact the places or places I'd already been, mm-hmm. you know, no owners that I knew were receptive to us. And we went and uh, that is a completely separate website mm-hmm. of just the pictures called Tokyo Jazz Joints.com. Okay. 
And um, it's that's taken off because people immediately visually could see what it's one thing to read about a place. Oh, it's a dusty, charming little room. Mm -hmm. You know, it's another thing to see really beautiful pictures Mm -hmm. of these places with the the albums, the gorgeous faces of the owners. Mm -hmm. You know, it it, it really is like being let into their home. It really is. When you visit these places, like Mm -hmm. uh, I've been to just, you know, a handful here and there, Mm -hmm. not anywhere near as as many as you have. But like I think of like, um, do you like Bar Soul Stream in Shinjuku? Oh, yeah, sure. So like that place, for example example whenever i go there i just feel like i'm walking into like the owner's like living room kind of like that's, that's, that's kind a, that of that is exactly vibe. what it's, it's like, like there's yeah. just a bunch of people like hanging out like there's tables and everything like that but it's like there's just the owner is like a, a part of the of the establishment it's not yeah. just the it's not just the space it's mm. like also just like the owner is just part of the vibe too. oh yeah. yeah oh yeah and you know it's funny because when when you explain that to them sometimes they they, they don't really even recognize it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they sometimes are a little shy even. Like, wait, you're going to show our pictures? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, this is a photo project. And people are going to read my site and mm-hmm. they're going to see the photo site. And um, it's been really good because we've been able now. So Philip and I visited over 160 uh, jazz spots mm-hmm. all around uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. Actually, close to 170, I think. Mm-hmm. And we've had exhibitions now in the States, um, in the UK, in Germany. Um, we even got to go to Penang Jazz Festival in Malaysia, so we had a little Asian cool. connection as well. Um, and we're constantly showing the pictures more and more places, yeah. and eventually going to hopefully publish a book, a coffee table book, oh, which, is a, awesome. which is a, basically a photo book of all these incredible old jazz spots. Yeah. But what's really interesting is that the owners, they are amazed when we express our love for them. Mm. You know how Japanese older people can be, oh, no, 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 it's uh, my little shop, so dusty and dirty. Uh-huh. Uh, you're from New York, you know, you must be used to great jazz spots. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, we don't have anything as cool as what you have here. Mm-hmm. What you have here is very, very special. Mm. And it's actually an honor for me to talk to you, to take your picture, to write about you, and to introduce you to other people. Mm-hmm. Because it's a part of a culture in Japan that is very uniquely Japanese, mm-hmm. but other people don't necessarily know about. Yeah, this is something that has come up many, many times in speaking with Japan-based uh, creatives. This very, this niche culture in Japan that like, whatever, like, I've said this so many times probably at this point, but like whatever your thing is, whatever you're interested in, like you can find somebody probably who's doing that thing. But I think that this uh, music culture specifically, uh, because so many people can easily enjoy music, I think music is a, is a particular uh, a, a, t- a particular topic where uh, there's so many like niche places to to investigate whatever genre or subgenre or sub subgenre you're into you can find it and there will be like you know at least a dozen people there that are into the same thing and want to talk to you and are excited about it but just as you're describing they'll be like us exactly. <laughs> what's so great about they, us? they don't even realize how unique it is and and especially and we're seeing this now in the current world situation when people mm-hmm. are locked up at home, um, you know, because people always ask me, so what is it that's so special about these old jazz cafes mm-hmm. and bars? You can listen to this music at home now. And I said, yeah, of course you can, and I do, but you're, you're not acknowledging the human interaction that takes place. Yeah, it, the community. It's, it's, it's a communal activity to sit with like-minded people and have a drink and talk about the records mm-hmm. and just kind of groove with it together. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. like that's a that's a really it's a really unreplaceable irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. Irreplaceable yeah. um, activity. And so, you know, if that gets taken away and everything becomes just this sort of, you know, immediate access downloading type of I can listen on my phone and mm-hmm. so look, I listen on my phone too. I listen at home. Sure, same. It's great. I love mm-hmm. it. But I make time out of my week, mm-hmm. at least once a week, to go and sit in one of these places, either by myself or to meet a friend or to talk to the owner. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really, really important even beyond the music, mm-hmm. and especially in a place like Tokyo, because Tokyo is overcrowded, but it's also very alienating. Mm-hmm. You get up, you take a crowded train, but you're by yourself. Yeah. You, you eat ramen by yourself. You live in a 1K a studio apartment. That's so many people's lives here. Right. So you can actually be in the world's biggest city and be completely by yourself Mm -hmm. Um, going to this kind of environment is i think so incredibly soothing it's almost like a i mean it's therapeutic you you kind of get a sense that you get you get to like sort of 
I don't want to say detach, but you just get to kind of like disconnect a little bit. Like when I, as you're talking about this, mm-hmm. this experience of going and just going for a drink and going to talk with somebody like that too, that's, that's the part of it that I also really enjoy. So like to give an example of this experience, like, you know, ink cocktails. Yes. Uh, I think you've played there. I have DJ there. I've seen your name yes, on, the, on yes. their informational thing. Yes. I, have, I have to come see you next I time. I have DJ there. I was there. Uh, I went to go. I went to. Uh, I like to visit that place because it's like the speakeasy style place. Yeah. Underground. Yeah. Right. They have these really nice cocktails and yeah. like the bartenders wear like the white <laughs> yeah. suits and like yeah. they're, they, they make yeah. a little conversation but dark. not a lot if you yeah. don't want to. So yeah. like a friend of mine was DJing one night and I was just like, I'm just going to go and sit in front of the booth. Like I had something like uh, something I was writing that I was working on and I just sat there for a couple hours just listening to him play mm. uh records and because they only they have only vintage uh audio equipment that is there, right that that which place creates is very, another very serious, really cool uh, atmosphere yeah yeah they're a very serious audio system that they they like to talk about too they'll explain in detail yeah um that's a great spot like yeah. that and it's brand new too it's only been over a year totally, yeah, yeah it's so it's yeah. Th- but they've done I, I really like that mm-hmm. and it was just me and like my friend was on the other side of the counter playing records all night and i would just occasionally glance up from like what i was writing mm. or like what i was working on and be like that's a nice track and then he would hand me the record <laughs> yeah. and i would get to look at it and yep. read it and like take a picture yeah. and we'd chat about it and then we'd yeah. go back to whatever we were doing it was wonderful i mean isn't that, isn't that great yeah exactly yeah. And, and, yeah. and i think people people um people need that kind of interaction mm. and as a music fan especially you know uh, yeah from a night like that you might walk home with five or six new things to listen to yeah exactly and you mentioned soul stream and shinjuku as well yeah. same thing you couldn't make requests there but he also okisan i think his name is he'll actually like tell you about the records uh-huh. I mean, these the people who run these places are very knowledgeable so i've learned more about our music mm-hmm. from the states and not just jazz but funk and soul and hip-hop from japanese bar owners yeah and djs their heads are like catalogs it's, it's amazing it's, it's remarkable. of information yeah. and also they know exactly where every single record is yeah. even if they have like three thousand <laughs> on the wall behind them well japanese people these kind of collectors always say that this is a very japanese trait mm. actually that that um not just collecting but being like when you dive into whatever your field of study is mm-hmm. you have to be almost like you know tunnel vision with it and yeah. and so you become an uber expert basically mm-hmm. over years you know but i've had um one of one of the one of the great experiences i've had doing this project over the years was there used to be a place called jazz pub misho mm-hmm. in shinjuku sanchome and misho san the owner at the time was already 80 um he's like my japanese grandfather and uh he used to kindly but very emphatically scold me because i didn't know a very obscure, out-of-print <laughs> jazz record from okay. the 1950s. Okay. And he'd be like, I don't understand, James Son. You, you, you said you're a jazz fan. What is, how can you not know this? And I'll be like, yeah. well, I, you know, um, sorry. I, I just <laughs> yeah. didn't know it. And he would be like, what do you mean? You've never heard of Willis Jackson. I was like, well, Willis Jackson? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, is he on CD? I used to buy CDs. He's like, okay. And he showed me his record. He has 18 albums by Willis Jackson. <laughs> okay. And I'm like... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Bring it on. Yeah. Let, let's. Yeah. You know. So here I am. You know, fairly young guy from the states, jazz fan, mm-hmm. hanging out with an eighty-year-old Japanese guy mm-hmm. in his tiny bar, and he is pulling out vintage original jazz records from the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. and teaching me about the music. Yeah. He can't speak a word of English. Yeah. You know, and and that's that's Japan in in many ways. Sometimes you you can find people here, whether it's cooking pizza or French food or hyper whatever. concentration on their thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, yes. and, and that was unexpected too because I didn't know that when I got here. Uh, yeah, didn't expect to get. That. I think that a lot of people think that they can kind of arrive and just sort of like smash their way into whatever space they're interested in, mm-hmm. but it's like no, it's mm-hmm. gonna take you some time. Sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. And this kind of actually leads me to my question. We're we're already talking about it, so I, oh, right. I haven't asked you directly sure. about kind of what you find joyful about about uh, doing something creative in Japan. I think we've kind of already covered that yeah. uh, a little bit. <laughs> I want to maybe address a little bit. Uh, I think we've kind of touched on it mm-hmm. a little bit already. Maybe some of the challenges mm-hmm. of doing something creative in Japan, whether it's working with people mm-hmm. or you know accessibility of information. What have mm-hmm. you found challenging about doing something like this? Well, I think that you know um, the first thing is this: if you're going to be here, I don't mean just temporarily, but if you're deciding to live here for any extended period of time, mm-hmm. you have to study the language. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's we all know that it's sure. not it's not easy to go from English to Japanese, mm-hmm. but it will make everything in your life, not just your creative projects, but your daily life, so much better. Yes. Um, frankly, it's unthinkable that people could live here 
long and don't speak. I, I don't, am shocked I, when I meet people. I, I, don't. I don't know how they do it. I don't either. You know? Um, but it's not just a language. You have to understand the way of thinking, mm. um, especially if you're doing, and it doesn't matter. You think, oh, you know, it's creative. Oh, I'm hanging out with these funky guys, these hip hop kids or whatever. But when you're doing business, it's still a Japanese way of doing mm-hmm. business. Um, even something as simple as you got to be on time. You yeah. Know? It's like you got to be on time. When you set up an uchiwase, uh, a meeting, yeah. you have got to be there on time. Yeah. But you also have to not expect that meeting to resolve anything. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is also so very true. We're Americans. We're used mm-hmm. to like get right into it. Okay, uh-huh. what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Uh-huh. Vote, vote, vote. Uh-huh. All right, let's do this. All right, go for it. Uh-huh. Twenty minutes, we're out. That's not how it works here. That's a great point. And that was very difficult for me. I mean, I had to really learn. You know, I mean, I'm I'm from New York. I talk a lot. I talk fast. You know, I want to get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, Japan is. You've got to take things a little bit slower. Yeah. And you also have to learn to read between the lines. Yep. You, you don't challenge someone in the meeting of six people. Mm-hmm. You got to go and speak to them around when nobody's there mm-hmm. and then understand how people are talking in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Oh, that guy actually doesn't like the idea. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to tell you directly, I yeah. don't like the idea. Yeah, they'll ask a question to be like, uh, what do you think about this specific? Like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. They'll phrase it as like a oh, question yeah, and make yeah, it softer. Yeah. Like you have to read body language. Sure. And the, your point about expecting things to not be resolved in a meeting is so true. Mm-hmm. Oh, that oh. was so frustrating for oh, me for a long time. I mean, it's it's. I, I worked in a Japanese company briefly, and it was very educational. Mm-hmm. But my personality did not fit. And yeah. I, I mean, the morning meetings that just seemingly went on and on and nothing really of substance was gotten to, yeah. I, I found it excruciating. That that remains a challenge. It's something I've been here a long time, mm-hmm. but I still have to force myself. Okay, slow down. Mm-hmm. Speak proper keigo, you know, proper polite Japanese uh-huh. and, and don't get ahead of yourself because yeah. they need to go at the pace that they are going to go at. And I am a guest here. Right. I cannot walk in and bring my exactly. way of doing business exactly. in a room full of six or seven Japanese people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the heights of American arrogance. To do and that, if you do you that, know? you're just going to set yourself back. Like if people see that you are making an effort to work like oh, yeah. with them, I think they respect that much, much more. Well, haven't, haven't you found in Japan that if you, if you just make the, yeah, if you just make the effort mm. to even speak a little bit of polite Japanese, mm-hmm. which is a different grammar, it's a little hard to use. You make a little bit of effort to do it in a business setting. Mm-hmm. The amount of respect that you get. Oh, this this person gets it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think it, it does. It goes a long way, mm. you know, when you really make the effort, even if it's imperfect. If I will say there are and this is true, I think of any any country, any culture, there are going to be people that just don't respond well to someone that doesn't speak uh, their language perfectly. Mm. There are going to be people that are just that just don't have the patience to deal with somebody mm. that doesn't speak fluently sure that's going to happen in any country but there are also groups of people that understand like you're a learner you know Mm -hmm. you're working on it you're Mm -hmm. trying to be uh someone that's contributing positively to your community or to your organization and so they're willing to work with you yeah like i think as long as you kind of try to focus your efforts on improving yourself and uh yeah working to show that you are making an effort as Mm -hmm. well like it'll go a long way and that applies not even, not just in Japan. I mean, every Absolutely. every country I've visited, you just got to make a small effort to m- some greetings, a couple mm-hmm. of cultural things, mm-hmm. and the, m- the smiles Souvenirs. will come out. Yeah, yeah the smiles <laughs> yeah. will come out, and you're welcomed in. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's that's something you learn after traveling a while. Yeah. You know? When I was younger, I didn't do that very well, but yeah. but now I'm I'm much better at it. And I think uh, just to uh, another kind of challenge. Then we talked a little bit uh, briefly before we started recording this too. Uh, is just the um, purely like from a logistics perspective of doing something creative in Japan, like as a full-time job is mm-hmm. also very hard. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. it's so hard. So it's like, and this really, but this relates to another kind of aspect that's interesting of Japanese culture, which is compartmentalization. Mm-hmm. Um, where like when you meet someone in like a jazz cafe or a jazz bar or something like that, they'll, uh, like another customer, I mean, they might be very, um, you know, knowledgeable about the topic and, and they have lots of information to share about that. But they might have like this other separate kind of life that they live, like they're a salary man. Like I've had sure. like uh, there's yeah. a guy that I, uh, I helped out with a, a record project recently uh, and he was he's everything when you look at his social media it's all records and rehearsals and my band and we're making this and test pressing and stuff like that and then when you talk to him in the bar he's like oh no you know three days a week i'm just a regular old salary man <laughs> it's like, look, 100% it's really true because i i know a, a great musician mm-hmm. uh, plays saxophone uh inoue osamu san uh-huh. shout out to inoue san hey. and by day he's a lawyer 
Yeah. You know, because he can't, it's very hard to make a good living yeah. um, as a gigging jazz musician, but he has his career, but he, so he funds his, he's able to fund his own recordings. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd known him for a couple of years before I was realized that he actually had this whole other life. You That's know? cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is hard if you, the thing is, is like, I think that with something like what I've been doing, this came out of a passion. I never, I never got into it with the idea that it would make any money at all. Right. So when I make even a little bit, I'm, yeah. I'm really happy. <laughs> right. You know, I <laughs> yeah. mean, uh, I, I've kept a, a, a semi-permanent day job mm-hmm. to pay the bills. Yeah. Um, because you got to take care of business, take of care of my family. Of course. But, um, you know, I, I think that you, but the other thing as well is this, is I, I think that people do get, you know, if, if, if all you're doing is focusing on how can I make more money, mm. you're probably doing the wrong thing. Mm. Yes, we got to make a living, but um, the it has to come from a different purpose yeah. than that. And, you know, you have to make, everybody has to make their own individual decision based on their own lives. Do I want to take a, a, a job just to make some cash and mm-hmm. do everything else on the side? Mm-hmm. Because then it, it takes a lot of time. Mm. You know, I mean, I'll spend, to put together one of my podcasts probably takes about six to eight hours a week mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. not that much but it, it's time it's time you yeah know, it's time yeah and that comes outside of my money-making job right and my family responsibilities right but i do it because i still love it and mm-hmm. i would feel completely lost without it sure you know so you you make that commitment get up early do it late whatever mm-hmm. and then things if it's good and your passion's there you'll start to get some benefits you might not make a living you might have to keep your day job mm-hmm. but i mean i get now like i was saying i get a lot of free music every week mm-hmm. um i get to meet and hang out with musicians i get to go to free gigs mm-hmm. i mean that's that that covers that's a pretty lot of money cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean if you if you told me that at the beginning this is all you're gonna get i'd be like i'd do that <laughs> i'll sign up for that you <laughs> yeah know? that's that's perfect for absolutely me. and this actually like we're, we're we're working backwards on my questions actually like you answer the question <laughs> before i ask it that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we've been doing this whole interview it, my, my my another one of my my key questions for today was just about advice in general like you know what what is something that you recommend that people do or not do and mm. this is i think in a great example of that mm. you know having to make those decisions for yourself and go what am i really setting out to do mm. here like mm. um like when when you want to you know make a podcast or when you want to put something creative out there are you mm. looking to get you know popular on the internet or yeah, <laughs> or are yeah. you trying I mean, to and also you know there's a there's like an age thing too i mean sure. i mean I'm, I'm in my 40s and you know younger people in their teens and 20s and they're seeing it as very much a career Sure. You know, um, I never did that. Mm-hmm. If I if I can make it at some point, I'd be happy. But but that's a very different perspective. So you know, again, you know, make the decisions about what you what is your goal with this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in my experience, I mean, when people put passion into their work, it shows. You can tell. Mm-hmm. You can tell people who are really committed to something and people who are just doing it for a paycheck or they want to be famous. Yeah. And um, you know, but again, uh, do it. Put the time in and. I, what I also found is think about your audience. What what helped me, what helped me improve. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not where I want to be yet with my radio, my podcast, but um, I, I started thinking about who am I talking to. Sure, right. You have and to. And so I, I will make like two or three different scenarios depending on what kind of like music I'm introducing or mm-hmm. what I'm saying about the music of who would I be, who would be the perfect person to be talking about this particular record mm-hmm. with. And that made it become a lot more natural. Yeah. And so when you're putting that passion into your projects, don't think about how can I reach like, you know, 20,000 people exactly. online. It's like, no, no think, think about a couple people that you don't. Think about one person who has zero knowledge of what you're doing. Yeah. And one who is your friend but doesn't really care much, but mm-hmm. you want to try to convince them. And think of one person who might be an expert. And how would you talk to all these three different people? Mm-hmm. That's how I try to do it on my show. Mm-hmm. And I think I've gotten better. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, if I listen to the old ones, definitely. They were, they were frankly, terrible, <laughs> you know, my first podcast. But you learn, you know. Yeah, you get better. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, practice. Absolutely. You know, like, so, I mean, this weekend I'll record episode 110. Very cool. Um, and, you know, if things keep going the way they are, I might have a lot of time at home. Right, <laughs> we're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're recording this. If anybody's listening, way in, in the future, the, in, in the, the midst of a global the, uh, pandemic. Yeah, the the situation. Um, Thankfully, at the moment of recording, is uh, not as yeah. serious in Japan. Yeah. We're very lucky and thankful for that. But yeah. yeah, hopefully, the way that I see it, though, too, like going back to your point about the audience as well. Like, mm. if you don't listen to your audience and just keep trying to smash down like 
smash into their faces the thing that mm. you want to make like what w again like why are you trying to make that thing yeah. like if you're not responding to the needs of the people who are, want to learn something from mm. you or like want the thing that you're going to make mm -hmm. like why are you why are you making yeah it? and know. it's also i mean it's easier than ever now it's easier than ever to communicate with the people out there who are consuming your work mm. okay um, so, I mean, if there's, if there's one extra bit of advice I would give, it would be like, you know, talk, just, just talk to people. I mean, I, yeah. I've, you know, traveled, been very lucky to travel around Asia quite a bit. And even since I started doing more, you know, writing and broadcasting. Um, but, but it's not even about that. Just, just talk to everyone. Mm -hmm. Like I actually talked to one of the best conversations I ever had in Japan. And this was a long time ago. Uh, it was when I was living in a student, foreign student's dorm. Um, it was a little tofu shop. Mm -hmm. It was in the west part of Tokyo on the Odaki line, so not near the center of town. Okay. And there was a little tofu shop. And one day I went by, and the, the, the old guy wasn't there. It was, a, it was a younger guy. It looked about my age. And so I went up to chat with him. Uh, and uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I pass by the shop every day. I don't really buy much tofu. You know, oh, my dad's not feeling well, so I'm running the shop. He's like, oh, are you going to take it over? You know, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm the eldest son. We're mm -hmm. quite traditional family. This shop's been here for you know 200 years, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Did, you know, 200 years. You know, so just a just a daily conversation, mm -hmm. uh, making greetings, being polite, turned into something really interesting. Mm -hmm. So he invites me into the shop. We have tea. He gives me some of the tofu. Oh, wow. <laughs> he starts telling me about the family, uh, and they have their their. This family had been working in the area when that wasn't even part of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. You know, so this unexpected encounter uh, led to one of the great experiences I've had in Japan. And it's, you know, it's not about a famous site or yeah. this great event. It was just about, I happened to just talk to this dude, yeah. you know? And that's something that maybe when I was in my 20s, I wouldn't have done. Right. You know, you kind of, oh, you want to be cool or whatever. You yeah, know, or shy. I also think, like, yeah, there's the shyness and yeah. there's the nervousness of just uh, yeah. of just going up and being like, what's what's your deal? Yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's going yeah. on here? And, and you know, yeah. I, I've, seriously, I think uh, nine out of ten times, people will be so receptive to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people that, you know, you want to be creative, you want to do these things, you know, work on your craft, but also, like, go out and communicate. That's For what sure. I would say is the most important thing. For sure. Having a, just a, a network of just interesting people to, like, look at and, like, yeah. see what are they doing, what are they talking about, what are they into oh, right yeah. now. It's so inspiring. Yeah. And, like, when you get in, like, those ruts, too, we're like, what am I going to do? <laughs> what <laughs> yeah. am I going to make? Yeah. Like, having people, like, that, that inspire you or that sure. interest you sure. is really, really great to well, have. Well, you, you must have found that by with the work that you're doing, right? I oh, mean, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's sort of, you know, sometimes you can get kind of in a rut in your own personal thing. Mm -hmm. You get out and you see what other people are working absolutely on. and that really that it inspires you it gives you good tips yeah sometimes it tells you not what to do you exactly. know because you're like oh i didn't really like where they went with that this <laughs> you is know? The, i started this podcast for many reasons <laughs> like you know i wanted to talk to people yeah. in depth you know like what sure. is this interesting person doing how are they approaching it mm. you know like all of us have different strategies you know according to our personalities according to the type of work that we're doing mm. according to who our audience is you know there's there's no right way to do it for the, there's no one size fits all solution for everybody so mm. it's like you know how do we introduce many different uh approaches to our creative work and talk mm. about what has worked for us and what hasn't worked for us and and so on but we're coming close to the end of our time oh wow so yeah. <laughs> it flew by holy cow when we talk about music it just goes by so quickly i you know it's <laughs> as i've been told uh i i found the perfect medium for myself they were like james you, 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 you finally got an, an an invisible outlet to just ramble about <laughs> music for as long as you want but you got listeners you're doing something right you know well i think there's enough of us out there you know yeah. you're good to go uh mm. you've already hinted maybe at kind of what the next sort of project that mm. you have coming up is potentially this photo book of the yes jazz yes so philip and i uh we have been talking a lot about this so we've had mm -hmm. a lot of good exhibitions um in multiple parts of the world now uh -huh. and a lot of people love the pictures nobody's done something like this in japan mm -hmm. um we're just waiting for the right publishing opportunity because it's quite expensive to put a photo book together yeah. uh any rich listeners you may have who would love to fund us uh, oh cut, cut us a check for dear rich listeners 20, Twenty-five thousand us <laughs> should cover it uh thousand copies um but well what we're, what we're going to do with the project is we've been featured in a lot of uh media a lot of music media and photo media mm -hmm. and so hopefully we're going to um philip when all this blows over, hopefully we'll come back to Japan. We're mm. going to go to visit more places, mm -hmm. get up to about 200 places visited cool. and, and photos shot. And uh, then we'll 
explore how to get that into a proper book. Yeah, that'd be super cool because like that could even serve as like guidebook sort of thing even. Oh yeah, and you know there's photo books about everything in Japan. uh, Totally. So why can't we get this jazz cafe one? Yeah, because there's a a friend of mine, she's also been on the show, like she just did a book called uh, Plant-Based Tokyo, which she did about like plant-based restaurants, like menus that are doing like Mm -hmm. Mm plant-based foods. She she didn't want to make it like a guidebook, like Lonely Planet style, but she approached it as a photo book and then she wrote like these very like philosophical kind of like introductions to the chefs. That sounds great. That sounds great. That's kind of taken off here as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And it was really, really well received. And Mm. so like, I think your project too sounds like something Mm. that like, you know, a person who is into that, you know, would pick it up and go, yes, I want to go to this place, this place and this place. Well, that's the thing is it's been really great to do, to to work with Philip on this photo project because it complements like my site, which is more of just like an info site mm-hmm. um, where you can read about the places and you can read the other articles I wrote, you can listen to my show mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and then the, the visual side of it appeals, not even just to people who are into jazz, but people who are Japan, ah, you know, Japanophiles. Right, right, right. And then you also have the people who are photo people who are like, I haven't even heard a jazz album, but mm-hmm. I'm looking at it from a photo perspective. So yeah. you've got a lot more appeal there. So that's one project. Um, I'm going to keep the podcast going. Cool. Uh, I've got... Well, there was another big project that we were just in discussions about, which now is going to be on hold because of the global situation. Right. Uh, so that, you know, catch me on social media in a couple months yeah. for that announcement. Yeah, <laughs> where, can we, where can we find you if we are not already following you on the internet? Yes, where can you, we find you? You can find me uh, mainly on Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Uh, I don't really use Facebook. So okay. Twitter and Instagram are the best. Just look up at Mark Mr. OK Jazz Tokyo. M-R. M-R-O-K Jazz Tokyo. Gotcha. Um, and my website is tokyojazzsite.com mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the photo site is tokyojazzjoints.com gotcha and my podcast is called the OK Jazz Podcast and we can get your podcast wherever we like to listen I assume. iTunes and you can listen actually there's a player on the website on okay. my website you can go to the podcast page you can stream it there mm-hmm. or on your phone you can download it on iTunes um, and it's on SoundCloud gotcha and I'm looking to try and get it on uh, Spotify as well okay so. got it well I will put links to all of those things in the video Great. and the audio description so people can check it out definitely check Great. it out yes, I will please. continue to follow you uh, and I will definitely have to come and see you next time you DJ at well, no, I love that yeah That'd definitely come by that would be great <laughs> we'll finish up here unless okay. you have anything else that you would like to add um, no no I'm pretty good um, just a shout out to uh, to my jazz family for you know all of their their help and support um, they put up with a lot of me coming home with obscure records and <laughs> Putting them on, yeah. oh, Dad, another record from the Congo. Uh-huh. It's number 75 now. So <laughs> that's pretty cute. They, they put up with a, a lot of my, my uh-huh. quirkiness, so thanks to them. Oh, uh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. That's great. And thanks that to you, note. Alicia, for inviting me. No, Appreciate not it. It's at great, all. Great thanks to very chat. much for coming. I yeah. really enjoyed this discussion. Thanks it was super a lot. cool. Thank you. Ciao. Bye. Bye. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to this episode of Non-Native Creative. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so that you never miss an interview. Also, please make sure to stop by the project Patreon at patreon.com slash non-native Patrons can get access to Patreon-only discussions, bonus behind-the-scenes media, interview transcripts, and access to patron-only live streams. Your support will help make sure the series can continue to share exciting, interesting stories from creative people working across borders. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.